Heavenly Father, we pray to you right now, Lord God. If there's things in our life that we are holding on to that really have a hold on us, Lord God. It might be our past. It might be something that really got a hold on us, Lord God. I pray, help us get our grips off the things in our lives. They can even be good things that are not you, Lord God, so we can get our lives gripped onto you, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, I pray, set free, Lord God, our church, Lord God, so that our church can set free others, Lord God. Let that be our heart's desire, that there is nothing that we hold on to but Jesus Christ, Lord God, Him crucified, Him resurrected, and Him living His life through us, born again, Lord God. We pray that in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Give God praise. Man, give... Greet the person right next to you. Greet the person next to you. Yeah, tell them what's up. Hello. Oh, what up, girl? How you doing? What up? At this time, Alan. Oh. All right, if the guys want to go ahead and uh, get communion ready. Yeah, once you get it, go ahead and uh, pass it around. Just want to throw something out there about communion before, uh, or as we take it. Um, in John chapter 6, 53 to 56, um, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, and as you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. <clears throat> if you never, if you didn't really grow up in church um, around Christianity, or this this verse can seem very, I don't know, I guess grotesque. I've seen it even on the History Channel. People saying, implying that. Um, this could say, you know, Christianity was rooted in cannibalism or, you know, things. But uh, you really got to take the context of why he's saying we have to do this and why he's making it so bold. He's not really saying if you don't come to church and, you know, drink the juice and eat, eat the bread, you're not going to make heaven. That's not really what he's saying. He's, what he's implying here is there's a reason we do this. Um, so if you jump to first... 1 Corinthians 9, uh, the Apostle Paul says, For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And then farther down he says, Do you not know those who minister the holy things of the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So what Jesus is saying is when you, when we take communion, and he says to, you know, consider our hearts before, what he's saying is you come up to it and you say, I'm about to partake uh, in the offering that Jesus did. And then you need to consider, uh, just like the priests, the priests were allowed to eat the, the sacrif sacrifices 
because they, were, they partake, partook in the work of making those sacrifices. So for us, we need to look at ourselves and say, all right, I'm about to take communion. That's Jesus' sacrifice for, our, for us. Am I partaking in his work? You know, am I going into all the world and preaching the gospel? Am I raising up disciples? Am I feeding, feeding the hungry? Am I clothing those that are without? I'm giving a glass of water to somebody that's thirsty. So that's what, that's why he's saying that to us. He's not saying, you know, we're cannibals or some other thing. He's saying, you really consider, we need to remember every time we do it that he gave a great sacrifice. And it's not just so that we um, take the sacrifice and then uh, uh, just go home saved and that's it. We're done. We said our sinner's prayer. We're good. It's no, it's every week, every day, we, we need to live and do the work. Um, that's uh, what it's about. That's why we have to do it routinely and look at it to say, am I really doing it? And if you look and before you eat it and you say, well, you know what? I'm not. I haven't been. Well, today's the best day to start. Try now. If you, if you haven't been, you've been away, then start today. Don't put down the communion. Just go ahead and take it. Start today. All right, then uh, so let's go ahead and if everyone's been served... Let's take the bread and remember, Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And you can go ahead and break it. Remember that he, he came. He was the bread of life. He sacrificed his body for us. So let's go ahead and take that together. After that, let's take the wine. Remember, this represents his blood that was shed for us. Without this, there was there's no sense in us <clears throat> being in this building, meeting together. It's not a club. This is about his sacrifice. Remember that this, this is the blood he shed for us. Let's take this together. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, help us to realize what it's all about <clears throat> that it wasn't just you sacrificing yourself <clears throat> for a one-time commitment for us but for our lives that we not just get saved but we come into your work we de devote the rest of our lives to doing to preaching the gospel to bringing in to making disciples all those things lord that we we join your work not just a one-time get out of hell free card or this is a, a lifestyle Help us remember that every time we look, Lord, to consider in ourselves what, what we need to change and what we need to do more to do to do your work. In Jesus' name. Good morning. We have uh, three announcements for this Sunday. Um, the first announcement is Urban Outreach. We're going to be meeting on Thursday. Um, I don't know who's leading it. So... Um, it's 515 at Urban Outreach. If you're interested in going, raise your hand and somebody's going to talk to you. Perfect. <laughs> the second announcement that we have is baby dedication. We've been blessed with a lot of babies this last uh, six months. So if you, if you sign up for, uh, for your baby to be dedicated, it's not this Sunday, but it's the following Sunday. 
And the, the last announcement that we have is, is this is actually pretty exciting news. Uh, we're hoping to raise uh, $10,000 or more for next year um, with the purpose of uh, hiring a new person that will be part of the staff and then to be able to give more to the community with, um, with the big tables that we've been doing. So um, we will be passing out an envelope next, next week, uh, an envelope that will reach 100, uh, that will say 100, with the plan to be able to, uh, to collect uh, $10,000 that will help us for um, a new employee and, uh, and to be given to the community. We are hoping that with that $10,000, we're able to do a missions trip too. So there's a lot that we want to do, but we need our help to do it. That's all I got. Oh, and we will pray for the offering. I'm sorry. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to give. We thank you that we are here to serve you. We thank you that um, your presence will be here. We pray that um, you will have your word touch us and that we'll be challenged to know more from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for your giving. And uh, if you're ready, you can play it. Do you guys remember that movie? Yes, True Lies. That was good acting, too. You, if you want to watch good acting, watch that. I just remember it. That was like, that was like a big movie when I, I was like a teenager, maybe like 18, 19 years old, you know, way back when, when they didn't drive cars yet and didn't have cell phones. I don't think we had, uh, like, we didn't have touch cell phones. Remember that? Internet was like, you couldn't find this on YouTube. There was no YouTube then. It was just TV, but it was really funny. But I, I showed you that because it says the bridge is out. The bridge is out. That means, have you ever seen these signs like roadblock ahead? Like, don't go this way because the road ends because the bridge is out. And I call them pitfalls. And, uh, and, and we're starting this series called Pitfalls. How did I get here? If you're new to Hill City, my name is John. Welcome. Thank you for being here. So glad that you guys are here. And, uh, and I want to welcome all those also who are online, of course, who are joining us. And, um, and even my wife may be watching us right now in Haiti. There's uh, my wife and Dre. They're in Haiti right now serving on medical missions, taking care of different villages. So I'm very excited for them. Yeah, they're excited. So they're there right now. And I'm like, I wish I was there so that you could watch the kids. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that to her. But I, I, I might have thought that. I might have thought that. But we're, as we're beginning the series called Pitfalls, How Did I Get Here? I don't know if you've ever said those words. Have you ever said, how did I get here? I think all of us or most of us at some point, we come to a place where we say to ourselves, how? Did I get here? How did I end up here? I don't know about you, but it's very true for me. I believe most people come to a place in life, and you might be there right now, and you're thinking, yeah, I'm, you're talking to me right now. How did I get here? How did I turn into that person? Have you ever thought of that? Like, why am I like this? You, you, it's some internal dialogue that you ask yourself. And, and last week, Pastor Rodney, and if you weren't there, please watch that. Go online, watch it. You can watch it on our Facebook, on our Vimeo, on our app, or on our website. So there's four places you can go watch that, right? So Pastor Rodney was speaking, and he spoke to us about the prodigal son. 
how the younger son finds himself in a pit with pigs, and he's down in the pit, and he's, he's hungry, he's broke, he's confused, and he finds himself at rock bottom, and he says to himself, right? It says he came to himself. So he says to himself, how did I get here? Finally, some self-awareness. Sometimes God uses our rock bottom to get our attention. He does. He uses our rock bottom. I love how Rodney said it last week. The loss of dignity can be the beginning of redemption. The loss of dignity can be the beginning of redemption. Listen, most of us, when we were young, we wanted the best for life, right? We, we said to ourselves, you know what? I'm going to get married. We're going to stay married. We're going to be madly in love. I'm going to find the best job, and I'm going to be so satisfied. Uh, we knew we could make a difference with our lives, and we had hope for a greater future. And these are things we tell our children, but yet many adults do not believe. Isn't that true? We believe they can live the best life. They can do it. We, there's a lot of us who believe for others, but it's hard to believe for ourselves. Is anyone with me? Right? And so, and you might call this thing like, oh man, that's just idealistic, John. And I call it potential. You might call it idealism. I call it potential. Because no one grows up hoping for, for it to collapse under pressure, to feel empty, to morally compromise, and become a cynic and become super negative. Or maybe even the very person that you hated, you feel like, am I turning into my parents? Or am I turning into that person I told myself I wouldn't turn into? Yet, I want to tell you, these things happen every single day. Every day, a lot, of, a lot of people turn into the very thing they said they would never do. Or some people are totally unaware of it, until, or, or we think, it can't happen to me. It can't happen to me. I got this until, boom, something happens. Your marriage becomes distant, or you cross that line at work, and your heart, or your heart hardens. And once you had this vibrant faith, and now you look at your faith, and you look at your walk with God, and you said, oh, man, I used to, oh, there used to be so much passion. And now you feel, man, am I faithless? Am I burning out? Or some of us, we've even achieved the goals we said we would achieve, yet we say to ourselves, is that it? Uh, You still feel empty inside. Jesus says to us, both in Matthew and in Luke, there is a way to gain the whole world yet lose your soul, lose your hope. And, and then we say to ourselves, how did I get here? I didn't know it could be like this. Why am I so hardened? Right? Maybe you don't feel like this right now, but you can see it approaching and you don't like it. And I don't know where you are today, but no matter where you are, I want to tell you there is hope. There is a way out of your pit. There is a way to get around, and God wants to show you that today. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. That's right, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We celebrate the Word of God because we believe the Word of God reveals Jesus, and Jesus can change your life, and I celebrate that. So today's message, and you guys might like it, might not like it, but I'm sure uh, it's called Hope for the Cynic. Hope for the Cynic. And, and so I found some, uh, I, I, was, I started looking up things about cynicism, right? And cynicism is idealism gone sour. Or a cynic is, this is my favorite uh, uh, quote here, a cynic is a man who when he smells the flowers, he looks for a coffin. Right? No one? No? That's too negative for you? Or a person who lives by Murphy's Law, 
Whatever can go wrong will go wrong. Anyone like that? Like, oh, whatever can go wrong is going to go wrong in my life, right? You're always waiting for the other shoe to drop so you can't even enjoy the moment that you're in. And some of us, this is already speaking to us, a cynic is like a Bronco fan on Facebook, right? Yeah. But I just want to give you hope. The Raiders are one in seven, my friends. Let that make you happy today, right? A little bit of joy, a little bit of joy. I'm sorry, my friend. Yeah, they lost the 49ers by 30 points. They're horrible. John Gruden, nothing, right? But listen, no one started out as a cynic. No one. No one started out as a cynic. We all had aspirations. We all had hopes to change the world. When you're a kid, no matter how you grew up, no matter how tough you grew up, there was something in you that said there is still hope. I know I've gone through all these things, but I still believe there is hope. I still want to do great things. But then something happens. You give 100,000% effort into something, and you go all in, and something goes wrong. And we've seen this to the people closest to us. You remember that friend in like, I don't know, in high school or in college that knew, you knew they were going to change the world. They had plans to change the world. Yet they got into a company of, and, and, they, and, and it started to steal their soul. And now they're just living for themselves and they're good with it because they gave up on those callings and dreams. They're living selfishly. Or you might have parents that were once madly in love but went through a rough patch and now seem like roommates. Your sister or brother got their heart broken for the last time and they gave up on love. They trust no one. They don't want to love again. They don't want to hurt again. I know for me, there was a season in my life where I gave and I gave and I poured out and I gave with all my strength and my might and I believed I could make a difference just to be stabbed in the back two times in the chest, and then four times on the ground. You ever been through that? You're like, can it, can it get any worse? It like got worse, and then it gets worse, and then it gets worse, right? And when you go through these things, you be- something begins to grow in you. Something begins to grow, and it grew in me. And I said to myself, I'm never going to give like that again. I'm never going to trust like that again. I'm never going to invest myself like that again. See, most cynics are former optimists. They start, cynicism starts not because you don't care, but because you cared too much, right? So here's three, here's ways that cynicism grows. Number one, and this is a good one, you know too much. And you're like, what what does that mean, John? This is how cynicism grows in your life. You know too much much and you look at the world you know too much you know all the things that are going wrong in the world and then you say to yourself "Ah, i can't do anything about that right you know too much that's right you would think knowledge is always good but oddly knowledge brings sadness oftentimes you know why you're so happy when you're a kid because you don't know too much Right? You're like, oh, everything's going to be good. It's going to be great. And, 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 but the more you go through life, you have it all planned out. I remember when I was a kid, I had it all planned out. And me and my friends, we were all going to drive Lamborghinis one day. Right? Like, that's, like you, there's these things. You ask a kid what's their favorite car. They don't say a Ford Fiesta. Right? They don't say a Prius. They, they have greater aspirations than the Prius. They're like, that Prius hybrid uh, 1999 is amazing. Right? No one says that, right? Do you, have you seen the hybrid engine? 48 miles per gallon, John, right? 
No, you, you think of something lofty and crazy. You're like, I can't wait till I have 10 bedrooms. I'm going to just sleep in two of those bedrooms, all right, right? You have all these lofty goals and dreams, but then you begin to know, you begin to, you begin to you, those kids, they begin to go through life, and many times they find out life is a lot harder than they planned. Pain happens. Plans change. People get sick. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, who was considered the wisest, richest, smartest man, most influential king in his, in his part of life, latter, in the latter part of life, he says in Ecclesiastes 1, chapter 2 to 4, he says, everything, this is beautiful. This is, this is like Oscar the Grouch writing the Bible, all right? This is the Grinch writing the Bible here. Everything is meaningless, he said, the teacher completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. Man, you, this, you do not want to be married to this guy, right? right? Verse 8, everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. Isn't that true? No matter how much you have, you're never satisfied. No matter how much you see, you're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. And then the, the next couple verses are a list goes on of his complaints of things not being satisfied. Then verse 16, he says this, I said to myself, look, I am wiser than all the other kings who ruled Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. He says, the more I've learned, the more I understood, the more I got, man, I got crazy, right? But I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. And this is my verse right here, verse 18. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. I mean, let me tell you how inspirational this is. Let this minister to you. You're like, oh, man, you're going to get me depressed in here, John. I know. It's like the Grinch who stole Christmas, like, wrote the Bible right here, right? And, and, but let his perspective help us right now. Life is not easy. It has many bumps. It has sorrows, right? I don't know if you ever thought about this, and I, 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 maybe I shouldn't go here. I tell my wife, and selfishly, I, said, I say to my wife, I say, I hope I die first. <laughs> I don't know if you, you might have weird conversations. This is my conversation with my wife. She's like, you're the worst. I'm like, I know. I'm like, I don't want to go through it. So I would let you go through it. <laughs> That's a, this is how my mind thinks. I know you, you, if people know me, uh, they know how I can get uh, like real, like down in the dumps. But I'm like, I'm like, that's so selfish. I'm so sorry, but I'm not sorry. But we know that life comes with a lot of bumps. And the more we know and the more we put ourselves out there and the more we trust, the more we can get hurt. But I want to say, even though you know a lot, there's still hope. Number two, here's how cynicism grows. You project your past into your future. You go back to the future. You project your past into the future. You keep on going to the past, and, and this is what does. Cynicism grows deepest when you project your past onto your future. Have you, do you ever do that? Oh, it's never going to work out for me because this happened and that happened. It's always going to be this way. You failed this one time, and then you're forever a failure. We damn our future with our past. We do. You might not mean to, but we do it by hardening our hearts. I think some people in this room, even right now, when I say the word hardening our heart, you can t you're like, man, I've been doing that. I've been doing that. I've been hardening my heart. And we label our life as damaged goods, right? Pushing people away, 
never attempting again so we don't get hurt again. Which in turn, when you push people away to not get hurt, guess what happens to you? You get hurt. You stay in your hurt. That's how that works. Self-preservation morphs into something much more, like, dangerous. That's when your heart becomes hardened. You push people away, and you live in this pattern of negativity, giving up. You're like, nothing can change. It becomes your normal. Because humans are pattern people. Once you set a certain pattern, that's a pattern you will continue to live by until someone comes in. you got to break the pattern in life, right? So cynicism, if you live in, in negativity long enough, in cynicism long enough, it becomes your instinct. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. That you, you're like, oh, man, I don't used to, I say, tell them, um, I told my group on, uh, on Friday, I don't even, like, laugh like I used to. I don't, I don't have the joy that I used to because there was moments in my life that I hardened my heart, and, and, and I'm trying to get back there, but it's really hard to restore your heart. You, sometimes you need, some of us, we've gone through such tragedy and hardship, we need to go through counseling. We do. We do. There's, and I told, I told the group, I was like, man, I've been trying to be more joyful, but there's something in my life that got so painful that I turned it off. I said, this part of my life, all of my emotions, is off. And I told you, I told you about when my daughter was born, Sienna, and now I owe her five bucks every time I talk about my kids, I have to, and they're in the room, I owe them money, all right? All right? When Sienna was born, I looked at her, and I said to myself, cry, John, Cry. Because I wanted to be in the moment. And then I, I was like trying to cry. And this is so lame. I'm just sharing some of my depth of some of my issues with you. And I looked at my daughter and I couldn't even cry. I was like, I couldn't connect emotionally because something got damaged in me in my past. Especially in that relationship of father and child. And so I put my daughter back down into the arms of her mother. And I said, God, I need to be restored in this. I don't know if there's areas in your life that you had to turn off because it hurt so deeply. And now we've pushed people away. But that is an area of my life in my, re- in my parental relationship that I know that God is still trying to restore in me. And I believe he's wanting to restore in you because I don't want cynicism to be your instinct in life. I want you to know that there is still joy and still hope in Christ. See, some of us, when we start a new job, we think the boss hates us already. That's just our natural instinct, right? I can't trust my my coworkers because they're stupid and I'm smart. Have you like? I know you don't say that stuff. You just say it internally, right? Right, man? Why are say why they are the worst? But I'm so glad I'm awesome, right? Or 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 you? I can't trust my friends because they might disappoint me. I can't commit to this group in church because they'll talk bad about me. I can't put myself out there because self-preservation can lead to destructive isolation by choice and it's everyone but you but i want to tell you i really believe this from the bottom of my heart there's still hope for us there's still hope for me in my relationship with my children my relationship with my father number three another way cynicism grows and you're like john this is the most This is like the most negative sermon you've ever spoke, and it's true. But there's a turner, there's a flip at the end. All right, just wait for the hope. All right, wait for the hope with me. Number three, you decide to stop trusting and believing again. I know many times I told you as a pastor, there's moments in my life, and I tell Paul this too. There's moments in my life I just want to work at the Amazon warehouse. Right? (laughs) I'm like God. 
Today I want to quit and I just want to wear my disc man at the Amazon warehouse and wear funny clothes and not talk to anyone and listen to Korean folk music, right? I just want to be the weirdo that no one talks to so I can do my job and go home and be good, right? And then, and, and because sometimes when you are leading something, when you're leading something at home, when you're a parent, when you're a boss, when you're a manager, when you're, when you're a project manager, or when you are leading in a factory, Christina, when you, it, there's moments you have to carry all this weight and you're like, I don't want to carry this weight. Moms, you carry so much weight. You carry enough weight for the whole world to put on your shoulders. And you're like, I don't want to do this. I just want to work at Amazon, right? I just want to put Nikes in a box and make someone smile because they got that for Christmas, right? You just, I, I just want to listen to like a 70s rap music, right, with Grandmaster Flash, right? That's what I want to do. But we stopped believing. We stopped trusting. And there are moments in life that you just want to, oh, I want to give up, God, I, and, and, and that's your dream. But it's because I start to generalize my pain. I start to generalize the weight in life, and I put it into all my situations. Every situation is going to be bad because I generalize what I've gone through, and I say that's going to be my forever, right? And this is the death of hope, trust, and belief. It's like a virus. I, it's like I can't, right? I can't. I can't do that. When you, have, when you lose hope, it becomes a virus, and it infects everything in my life. You project your situations onto everything. Your past realities and your past relationships you believe are going to be your future realities and your future relationships. And you infect your present, and you kill your future. That's what we do when we live in cynicism. And the greatest problem of this all is that it infects your relationship with God. The biggest problem of looking at our world this way infects our relationship with God. Because this, just listen to this, when you close your heart to people, you close your heart to God. Have you ever said, oh, this is my relationship with Jesus, and I'm going to just do spirituality with me? And all of us have gone to that place, right? But when you close your heart to people, what we're doing is we start to close our heart to God. Because guess what? Life is all connected. If you're a jerk at work, guess what? You're not going to just turn it off and, and be nice at home. You are, wherever you are, there you are. I'm going to say that again. Wherever you are, there you are. You can't juke yourself. You can't psych yourself out and say, I'm, I'm a different person here. I'm, no, that same person lives in you. It, that's you. Everything is connected. You know too much. You project your past onto your future. And when we stop trusting, hoping, and believing, it leads to something perpetual, much worse, called isolation. And why does this matter? Because a bad day in 2018 can turn into a bad year, can turn into a bad decade, can turn into a bad life. Have you, and, and you know this when you speak to people that are much older, and maybe in their 70s and 80s. Usually, people in their 70s and 80s, they're either super grumpy. I apologize, 70s and 80s, right? They're either super grumpy or they're awesome. You're like, you are so awesome. How'd you do that? How are you so balanced, right? You, and, 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 you, and you guys know, I, I know some grumpy folk, man. You, you talk about how's your day? The worst. I'm dying, John, right? All right. I won't talk to you. I'm sorry. Go in your Lamborghini and get out of here, right? Everything's the worst. Oh, Lamborghini has a flat tire. You know, like the sun is not, it's, it's not, it's not good. The glass is half full. It's true. If we get into a projected mindset, it, when we get older, it becomes the lock in. 
And you start to become the person you didn't want to become. But it's, you, and the older you get, the more it locks in and the harder it is to change. So you got to break the pattern. You got to break the cycle. You got to see the connections. Because if you're still breathing, it's never too late to be who you might have been. It's never too late. There is hope. Cynicism is not as inescapable, but we got to take courage enough to face ourselves. And ourselves, I believe, is the hardest person to face. We really are. You know why? It's funny. If you ever go backpacking, as uh, Paul and I would go backpacking sometimes, it's so quiet, you start asking yourself weird questions. You're like, oh, why am I asking myself this? It's because it's in you wanting to come out. But because we are so busy. Busyness is the enemy of self-awareness. Write that down if you need to. Busyness is the enemy of self-awareness. And, if you, and, and, and when we're young parents, we're so busy, right? We're just go, go, go. We got next thing. Our kids are crazy. But if we don't stop just to think and just to see where we're at, we will lose a decade of our lives without even thinking where we're going. Think about that. We have a plan for our finances. We have a plan for this. We have a plan for our children. We have a plan for our, uh, our sports. But where is our plan for our walk with God? Are we growing in that? Is there a hope and a future in that? Busyness is the enemy of self-awareness. And I find that true, especially in marriage. We can be going the same direction and just losing our relationship in the direction. So are you willing to hope trust again? Because one thing is cynics never change the world. They just tell you why you can't, right? They tell you why you can't do that. You can't do that, Eric. You can't help out urban outreach and actually make a difference. You can't do that. We, that's right, we can. So we need to start not being grumpy. We need to move out of this. And, and I believe we need to do this because we in this room are responsible for the next generation of Christians in Thornton. We're not only responsible for our faith, but God has called us to the next generation of people who will know God. And I want to leave the next generation better than this one. You with me? I hope that's your heart. There's something in you that believes, not like the, the, the news, right? The news, it's going to get much worse. And then Christians on Facebook, it's the worst. Jesus is coming, right? Like hellfire. No, I believe that the next generation can be greater than this generation. I absolutely believe it. I believe our children can be greater than us. And we, we have that in our minds. I believe that our children can love Jesus much deeper than us. That they would be the ones to change the world. I have to believe it. I know it. But I need our church as Hill City Church to believe we are called not only to our generation to make it great, but for the next generation, for them to know God deeply and it's not enough for me to just handle my business and my relationship with God it does not work that way it's our relationship with God and we want to set up the next generation to know God the saddest statement in the Bible you'll find it many times in the book of uh, in the book of Judges in the book of Kings and it says these words see Moses he was a great leader I'm going to look at the time because I'm going off on, a, on, a, on, on sideways, right? Moses was a really good leader, and he set up the next generation with Joshua. And it says when Moses died, Joshua took over, and the people were good. And they, they led the people of Israel across Jordan, and they took the land, right, just like God has promised, up, promised them. But when Joshua died, these were the words that followed. And the next generation did not know their Lord. 
and it started the book of Judges. It started the book of Kings. It was the saddest time in, in the history of Israel because they did not know God because Joshua knew God, and like Moses knew God, and he taught Joshua. Joshua knew God face to face, but he taught no one else to follow him. And I wonder if that would be said of us that the next generation of Hill City did not know their Lord. And I say no. That cannot happen with us. That it cannot happen for our city, right? We want Thornton to know Jesus greater than they have known him in the past. That is our desire. That is my desire. So here is the cure for cynicism. You guys ready? For your heart to feel again, hope again, I'm not kidding you. If, if you talk to Candace, I was one of the crankiest human beings alive. I am cranky. Thank God that he has changed my heart. I was angry. I was, some of the, I was so hopeless. I, I'm one of the hope, most hopeless, cranky person that you would have ever met. I hated everything in life. I did. And I projected my past onto my future. Nothing good can happen from my life. There was a moment that I went all in, and then I got hurt, and I said, never again. Nothing good can happen. Yet, God, yet God. Those are my favorite words all throughout the Bible. But God, I don't know where you are right now or how you're feeling, but God can change your situation. I don't know if you have given up on life or you've given up on yourself, but God is not given up on you. The word gospel of Jesus Christ is the word good news. Say good news. Don't frown when you say good news. You can't be like, good news, John. Good news, right? No, when you say good news, let that be joy to you. Let that be joy. Think about good news that God has come through. For some of us Christians, we got to tell our face that we got some good news, right? That I, This was why I love the Bible. The Bible is not full of like happy-go-lucky. They're not just all holding hands and singing kumbaya, right? The Bible is full of sorrow, violence, and tragedy because that's the realness of fallenness. Isn't that true? The reality of sin Pride and hate is that reality. There's going to be a, a lot of hardship. Yet God, yet Jesus knew we could not save ourselves. And I want you to listen to this. Listen to this. this is the gospel. Jesus knew that we could not save ourselves, so he came to save us. And without God's intervention, humanity would have been doomed. Yet Jesus. Say, yet Jesus. He came into our mess. He conquered hate with love. He took everything they threw at him, abuse, rejection, torture, even death on a cross, and he turned it into life and hope not only for himself but for all of us. So when we take communion, it's saying, I still believe in the good news of Jesus Christ, that I'm going to walk and talk. I'm going to do what Alan said. I'm partaking in what Jesus was doing. See, the cross we thought was a setback, but it, was, it became a setup for the ultimate comeback. I really like that. The cross we thought was a setback became the setup for the ultimate comeback. I don't know what you're going through, but I want to tell you this. Whatever you call the setback, it might be your setup for the ultimate comeback in your life. God loves the underdog, David and Goliath, Moses and the sea. God loves the underdog, Jesus and the cross, the Romans. God, if when God comes through, everything can change. Look, we see our despair right now, but God sees hope. We see our doubt, but I want to give you faith again and again and again. That's what he says. He says, you might see doubt, but I see hope in your life. You might see a setback. I see a setup. What if that's the case for your life? 
Right now, you might feel, oh, this is the worst. And God's like, oh, man, just like, the, just like the prodigal son, it is your setup. Sometimes I need you to go through some stuff so that you can help others who are going through some stuff, right? When you're going through it, uh, I know when I talk to a couple of my friends and they've lost their parents, right, or they lost a father or mother, and when someone hasn't gone through that, they don't understand, Sometimes God makes us go through things that we don't understand so that you can set free people of what they've gone through. Some of you guys have gone through some anguish, but what you called your setback, I know it hurts, but it's going to be a setup for someone else's future. Can you trust God for your joy? Can you trust God for your joy? Your past is not your future. Bitterness cannot win. Hope cannot die when Jesus is in the picture because he is risen, he is alive, and nothing, no sin, no hate, no cynicism, no brokenness, not even death can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate you. Do you know him? Do you know him today? Do you know him today? Let's bow our heads for a moment. Do you know him? I mean it, not informationally. Do you know Jesus when he's like telling you to do something? When he's like, man, I'm pointing out some things in your life that is going to kill you if you allow it. Sometimes God loves us so much that he will break our hands. He will hurt us deeply so that we will let go of the very sin that one day will kill us. And we can't see it in the moment. But he sees our pride. He sees the things we hold on to so deeply that he has to break us so he can make us. Your setback could be your setup for your comeback. Jesus, speak to us right now. Heavenly Father, I know that there is many people in this room that are feeling the weight of the world. And I, I'm not here to point fingers at all, God. I feel like I'm one of them, God. I feel the weight of the world on my shoulders right now. And, and, it, and it saddens me many times, Lord God. But I pray I do not live in my past, that I do not live under the weight. It says in your word that cast your cares, cast your worries, cast your sin, cast your burdens, cast your anxieties, cast your fears on Jesus, for he cares for you. He says, give it to me, son. Give it to me, daughter. You can't carry it. We say to ourselves, I got this. When you say to yourself, I got this, I got this, I got this, that means, man, you might not got this. You might not have it. When you have to tell yourself over and over again, there's not enough times you can tell yourself. At some point, we have to say, Jesus, we need you to get this. God, I cannot carry the burden. I cannot carry my past. I cannot win over this sin of whatever it is, of pornography, Lord God. I cannot win. I need help. I, you need to get this, God. I cannot win of jealousy. It's too heavy, God. This jealousy is overwhelming me or this anger of not forgetting my past and unforgiveness. I can't handle this, God. Or my pride, God. My pride gets in the way of everything, God. Of my marriage, of raising my kids. I want them to treat me a certain way. But really, it's because I'm just like, I don't even like myself, God. I can't handle this anymore. And instead of trying to win on our own, can I, can we, all of us, just trust Jesus and cast our cares on him?
If you are in this room, you need to cast your cares on Jesus. Man, you do it. You don't even need to raise your hand. Just bow your heads and talk to him. Jesus, my heart is hardened. I have lost hope, belief. I have lost the wonder of God. But I know that you are the God of second chances. And the second half of my story can be greater than the first. You might have been in here and you walk through, you feel like you're troubled and there's a weight on you. You feel imprisoned by guilt, surrounded by sadness. But today, I absolutely believe you can be set free in Jesus. That is the good news. You have a past, but you're not defined by it. God loves your comeback story, and he can write a new chapter. If you're breathing, a new chapter can be written. The cross means to all of us, we can rise again. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord God, if you're in this room and you need to, man, you know that you're far from God and you, you have been running from God, but you need to get right. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. I think we need to make a proclamation sometimes. Yeah, I've been running from God. You only, you know it. If you've been running from God, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Heavenly Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus for those who have been running from you, Lord God. I pray, Lord, for healing, Lord God. But I pray for an ultimate joy to fill their hearts right now. It says in the Word of God, when we, take, when we draw near to God, God is on a full sprint to draw near to us. So right now, we're drawing near to you, Lord God. Lord, change our story, Lord God. We trust in you for that. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. If you need prayer, we're here to pray for you. I'm here to pray for you. But I pray, I, I just really believe some of us, we need to deal with some stuff and just spend time with God just for a moment. Don't leave without getting things done. Who cares who's around you? It matters only that God is with you and Jesus can change everything. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. Give God praise.